Hello, and welcome to Fangraphs Audio, episode 999. This week on the show, you know we're talking World Series, and we've got Michael Bauman fresh off attending games three and four, joined by his old Crashburn Alley buddy, Eric Longenhagen, to talk about these fighting Phils taking on the Astros. Michael and Eric have grown out of their fandom a bit as they've become mature professionals in the sports industry, but their inner Philly fan is still in there, and they discuss how weird it was to see their team get no hit in the World Series. Like, my whole body's not in the pool, but, like, you know, more than my toes are back in to some sort of, like, subjective, passionate waters here as the Phillies are on this run. And, yeah, it sucked. Watching last night, I was, like, giggling afterward because it was so such a bizarre feeling. You have no choice but to flush it and try to come back. It is, like, so imperative that you don't let any aspects of this linger in this moment because it is like a moment you might not have an opportunity to seize again in your careers if you're any of these guys. Michael has been at every home game of the Phillies postseason run, and he describes a difference in atmospheres not only in Houston and Philadelphia's respective stadiums, but also in their clubhouses. It was like just so sedate and contrast that to the way, you know, the Phillies clubhouse, not even I think back to NL division series game three. That was the the first game I covered this postseason in person. You know, I was outside the Phillies clubhouse and you could hear the music going and they open the doors and it's like just this this cloud of smoke just billows <laughs> out of the clubhouse like it's that 70s show or something. And I was just like, what is going on in here? And I found out they had a smoke machine going and, you know, they had been doing the dance party. And there's definitely like an act like you've been there before element to the Astros and uh, act like you might never get here again element to the Phillies. The duo also discussed things like the last time the Phillies made the World Series, rooting for former Fangraphs writer Corinne Landry to win a ring, some extended thoughts on drum major camp of all things, and Eric speaking at First Pitch Arizona this weekend. But before we get to Eric and Michael's chat, I must issue my weekly reminder for you to head on over and check out the Fangraphs.com shop. Not only is it the best place for you to pick up some sweet, sweet Fangraphs swag, but you can also get a Fangraphs ad-free membership for yourself or as a gift for a friend. Becoming a Fangraphs member is not only the best way to browse the site, but it is of course the best way to support the site, helping us to keep the lights on and bring you all our analysis and leaderboards and projections and podcasts and all that it is we do. We couldn't do all of it without you. Thank you. Enjoy the show. All right, well, welcome to episode 999, uh, Hail Upside Down Satan of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, I'm your host, Tom Waits. I'm joined by Eric Longenhagen. Eric, how you doing? I'm good. I'm uh, Billy Bob Thornton's character from Sling Blade, and I'm great. I apologize for those of you who are expecting the usual excitable, more, let's call them tenor one, to use uh, choir terms, uh, Michael Bauman voice. I've been outdoors for three days in a row, and my throat is not happy about it, so I've got a little bit of post-nasal stuff going on, so we have not one but two sexy gravelly baritones now, and so I hope I hope you enjoy it. We're going to go as long as, as, long as my uh, vocal cords can, can hold on, so 60 to 70 pitches at least as you you have some experience in like using your voice for the purposes of singing and like maybe have some training around it is there a way to talk and or sing and use your like throat and vocal cords that is like more sustainable than you and i naturally incline toward Oh, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of vocal training. Like, a lot of the guys who do, like, Screamo have trained to... I mean, some of them are just obviously completely wrecking their their voice boxes forever, but there are ways to get 
you know, more volume and, and different timbres and stuff out of your, your uh, vocal cords without giving yourself nodules. I can't say, despite nodules. singing for singing for public consumption for much of my youth and, and uh, early 20s, I never took such lessons. So here we have the debacle that you, you hear in your, your headphones right now. So are we just avoiding talking about what happened last night, which is the Phillies got no hit in a World Series game? Yeah, so just to set the stage, we were recording early... Nodules. Yeah, you're going to laugh about that the rest of the episode. We're we're recording... What day of the week is it? Thursday? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, early Thursday afternoon in between games four and five. So obviously by the time this gets out, if it gets out before game five at all, whatever we would predict about Noah Syndergaard and Justin Verlander would be out of date. So uh, we're going to focus... If if uh, the series had gone to 3-1, the plan was to uh, to have the two of us on Friday morning after the Phillies clinched, and that would have been, you know, I, I regret that we will not get to make that episode together. But we're going to focus on on what's happened and sort of spin try to spin forward as far into the future as we can. And I think the obvious place to start with what happened is, I mean, it uh, <laughs> looking at, at how Christian Javier pitched, I'm not surprised that there was a no-hitter because I don't really know how, what, you, what you're supposed to do with, with what he was throwing last night. Yeah, for sure. There were opportunities just on a pitch by pitch basis. Like there were a handful of hittable pitches in last night's game. And I know because I was like, you know, screaming after each of them in essence. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he was incredible. Um, he, like every other Astros pitcher is very good. You've got that flat angle cut ride fastball that works up underneath the hands of all the left-handed hitters that the Phillies have and that sweeper breaking ball that so many of them swing over top of and takes you a minute to get used to that guy's release and then all of a sudden five innings have gone by and you don't have a hit and pretty soon you have to deal with you know Brian Abreu and his 89 mile an hour power curveball which is like as good as any breaking ball on the planet and when you're not just standing there and letting like Brian Abreu walk some of you, which is what they probably should have been doing at that at that point. Uh, like like make Brian Abreu throw you a strike, which is just the middle of the order. It didn't do. You know you're you're in big big trouble. So it is a dubious thing. Certainly, you know Houston is incredible. This isn't the first time this has happened or almost happened with Christian Javier on the mound. But yeah, like the, I gotta imagine the vibe in the building for Game Five is going to be strange given what happened last night we finally saw last night something i've been waiting for you know i've been to every philly's home playoff game and the crowd has been i mean you and i grew up around these people they are lunatics for the most part and you know everything that you i i like had a hard time when people were talking about the difference in the vibe between minute maid park and citizens bank park during this postseason like i almost had a hard time believing it because i've been to numerous playoff games at minute maid park and that place gets pretty loud i didn't think that like there was this much of another gear left to go to but i was wondering because in concert with that incredible ferocious passionate like real like Mexican soccer atmosphere that that you can get when the Phillies are in the game like everybody carries this this waiting anxious fatalism and what happens if the Phillies really get kicked in the teeth and it happened on an inning to inning basis a couple times in the Padres series but they kept coming back and kept giving 
the fans something to cheer about, and Javier just didn't. And I think, it, like, you could tell that the the breakthrough against Nola was going to happen at some point, I think. But the Phillies just didn't have an answer. And it was weird. You know, I think from where I was sitting, it was right next to the two sections where all the Astros fans are. So I think that distorted, you know, in my mind, how quiet the crowd got versus how loud that little pocket Astros fans got because, like, that was just all I could hear. But it will be interesting to see how I, I think the team will be fine. Like, they get over stuff for a living, basically. But I think the, the fans will probably be a little bit nervous tonight. Yeah, you know, I had people from home and scouts from other teams, including, like, from teams that the Phillies dispatched during the course of the playoffs. They've been, you know, more proactively engaging during this stretch because people, especially at like the Folly games and stuff, people have seen me with my tablet watching games in the middle of the scout section the last couple weeks. And, you know, I haven't like, like my whole body's not in the pool, but like, you know, more than my toes are back in to some sort of like subjective, passionate waters here as the Phillies are on this run. And yeah, it sucked watching last night. I was like giggling afterward because it was so such a bizarre feeling. You have no choice but to flush it and try to come back. It is like so imperative that you don't let any aspects of this linger in this moment because it is like a moment you might not have an opportunity to seize again in your careers if you're any of these guys but yeah like it does feel weird and bad and you know Aaron Nola just didn't he and he hasn't really had pinpoint command which is just a thing that he needs more than some of the other guys with like yeah. real power stuff. Uh, you know, it's sinking and tailing fastball and like so few changeups from him here. And Astros haven't really offered it at any of those. And he just ha- didn't have the type of command that he needs to, to really succeed. And that's been the thing with Nola. Like that was his calling card dating back to college. The ability to drop either the tailing two seamer or the curveball anywhere he wants it. And he, you know, I think he did a good job early in the game, you know, that even though you're, I singled out the, the first at bat against Alvarez, everything was on the on the corners of the zone, even though Alvarez eventually reached. But I think you do also have to give a lot of credit to the Astros because they will punish, or usually, I, I would say, usually they will punish anything other than, you know, that sort of exceptional pinpoint command that, that Nolan needs to be at his best. Yeah, and there were even instances last night, like Kyle Tucker hit an absolute laser that was right at Nick Castellanos. Like, there Mm -hmm. was even more opportunity for Houston to do damage last night than just in the one inning in which they scored. Jordan hasn't totally lit the world on fire in this series, even though just watching him swing, like, that could happen at any moment. And then obviously, like, Kyle Tucker is some kind of extra locked in right now, and so is Yuli Gurriel. And obviously, Yuli is not, like going to be hitting home runs on a night like last night where you could just see the ball not super duper carrying. It seemed colder in town last night than, you know, the day before. But like Yuli is on everything right now as well. And yeah, just top to bottom, the team is super dangerous. And I don't know, you know, one of the things that was interesting after game three is that it seemed, you know, the Phillies maybe felt like they were in the driver's seat a little bit in the series. I mean, you still have to basically play 500 ball in a four-game home-and-home series with the Astros, which is, you know, no small order. But, you know, Jose Urquidy giving them three innings out of the bullpen in game three made it so that, like, this bullpen is still pretty rested going into a key game five where, you know, there's no one on the Astros staff who has had to pitch on back-to-back days. And so, yeah, things seem teed up 
pretty good for them. But yeah, like, I don't know. What was it like after the game? You were doing clubhouse stuff late into the night to like close to 1 a.m. Yeah. So what was the vibe in? Who were you all talking to? Where were you post game? And what were the vibes like? So the after the game, I went down to the Astros clubhouse. And it was interesting contrasting that clubhouse with the Phillies. It's, I guess, a little bit of apples and oranges because just because of how long we waited. Like the reason I was there until 1 a.m. is like Christian Javier like took a leisurely dinner and had a shower and then went to the interview room and stuff. So like it all took good. He should have. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I got he earned it. But like, you know, we were there for a very long time. I think it's the longest I've ever been in a clubhouse after a game. We were waiting for like I was waiting for Ryan Presley because he was one of the few guys who like had a big impact on the game who wasn't up at the podium for the press conference. And so we were there, you know, I probably didn't get in until a solid half hour after the game ended and probably waited another 20, 30 minutes once I was in there, you know, until it gotten what we needed from, from Presley and, uh, and Kyle Tucker. So, but it, it was like just so sedate and contrast that to the way, you know, the Phillies clubhouse, not even, I think back to NL division series game three, that was the, the first game I covered this postseason in person. You know, I was outside the Phillies clubhouse and you could hear the music going and they open the doors and it's like just this, this cloud of smoke just billows out of the clubhouse. Like, it's that 70s show or something. And I was just like, what is going on in here? And I found out they had a smoke machine going and, you know, they had been doing the dance party. And there's definitely like an act like you've been there before element to the Astros and uh, act like you might never get here again element to the Phillies. And I think, you know, I don't I don't think one approach is better than the other, but it's just funny to see the contrast because, you know, it was just very and it probably helps. You know, the Phillies are at home. They have the bigger clubhouse with all the, you know, the bells and whistles. It's kind of a tiny visitor's dressing room in, in Citizens bank park and you know most of the astros i think those who like chas mccormick who's you know from the he's from eastern pa was uh was holding court at his locker with some uh local reporters who were doing doing color on on his story you know there were some guys who were there who talked for like hector neris was was uh there talking to reporters and and cracking jokes but you know it was probably only no more than like half a dozen players at a time in there. And I think like if there was any post-game celebration, it had all been long wrapped up by the time we got in there. So it was it was interesting. Like if I was among the one fun thing about the, the Presley scrum was like every leading light in baseball, you know, print media that you can think of was in this this little huddle around his locker. And everybody was trying to like needle him until he said something emotional, like about the no hitter. And he was just like, God, oh, you know, the most important thing is the win and i like i believe him like i i really do think that i said this in my recap that a weird thing about a postseason no hitter has to be that like the the raising of the stakes that you usually get at the end of a normal no hitter just doesn't happen in the world series because the stakes start so high and i yeah. think everybody was just so relieved you know not relieved but like what they all take away from that more than anything else is they leveled the series and they're and i think they're they're back in control and i think that's the thing that they're happiest about the astros yeah, McCormick, he's from Westchester, right? But Westchester, uh, yeah, yes. went to went to Millersville, the Millersville Marauders. They're in the uh the PSAC, the Pennsylvania State Athletic Conference. They're the Millersville Marauders. I'm sure you've I know I have like 
high school classmates who went to Millersville. I've got kids I coached in basketball at my alma mater who went on and did athletics at, at Millersville. So yeah, yeah there were two said- two Millersville guys in the playoffs this year. Uh, McCormick and Timmy Meza, the lefty oh, reliever from yeah. Toronto. Yeah, both Millersville guys. There, there are a couple other minor leaguers from Millersville. It's like weirdly like Kutztown and Millersville and some of those other schools like crank out more baseball players and just like good athletes than you would than you would guess Uh, westchester was the hotbed the first time i ever went there was for drum major academy when i was in high school marching band there was a uh a camp with with hundreds and hundreds of high school marching band drum majors where they did like week-long classes and exercises to to teach you how to lead a marching band better just legions of nerds with staffs and poles oh no no like, first of all they're called maces and not it's a, a mace <laughs> and our our band didn't use maces i think i think some of the definitely some of the the drum majors did bring their own maces but most of us just conducted with uh you know with our hands so so the, and it's mace it's i assume it's m-a-c-e m-a-c-e yes Okay, and like mace is also the name of like uh like a medieval the the weapon that has like the heavy ball with the spikes on the end is also yeah I think that's I, I mean where that's derived from that I it's derived from indeed the medieval weapon because the ceremonial mace it's a stick with a one bulbous end and one pointy end that you know there's some college marching band where they make a big point of throwing it up in the air and then sticking it in the ground or something I forget which one off the top of my head but yeah I mean I always thought that was a little showman like you know my my band was very uh sort of by the book you know sedate you know cadet style east coast marching so none of this backflips and mace throwing and stuff we got a color guard for that so westchester is is a cultural mecca of uh of at least this this one very specific part of of music lore i had no idea that's ironic i was at uh i saw under 18 team usa here in town um they were here for four days they're getting ready for a qualifier tournament in mexico for like under 18 world cup they had two days of like practices and workouts way out in the northwest end of the valley at mountain ridge high school uh which is like matthew liberator's high school and so i on saturday i did a fall league game at like 11:30, then team usa practice at 2 30 ish and then fall league night game specifically to see carson wisenhunt again like almost all three things were on the west end of the metro here at Mountain Ridge that day, there was some sort of national band competition going on that was like a red herring as far as where I was supposed to park for the Team USA stuff because oh, I was like, oh, it's yeah. it's a Saturday at a, at high school. Where these cars are all parked is definitely where I need to park, right? And it turned out, no, like I ended up parking around amongst all the bandos who were there from you know, all over, at least all over the state, if not from all over the country, there were so many people there eventually by the middle of the day and had to like walk through a shining like maze of sports fields and fences to finally find Mountain Ridge's uh, baseball field, which like I had been at before, but not since Libby was there. Uh, watching Team, U- Team USA guys work out, like just kind of stretching, like everything was in shorts and a t-shirt, doing PFPs and base running drills, you know, for a while before some of the guys threw bullpens and took infield and then and then ultimately BP, just being serenaded by the rotating marching band panoply for like three hours of competition. That's got to be fun. Are they are they still all playing Pirates of the Caribbean? That was like the go-to. Oh, yeah. No, no. They they moved on from the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff to the Harry Potter stuff before that became yeah. problematic by proxy. And then 
Uh, now it is uh, music from Inception and other Hans Zimmer works oh, seem to man. be popular. That sounds sick. Yeah, the, yeah. Except the Johnny Marr guitar part from the Inception Inception soundtrack. There wasn't. I couldn't hear anybody playing that. But it's hard. I, I heard. Yeah, the, it's hard to do it with brass. <laughs> yeah, my first my first show was a Hans Zimmer show. We did the the soundtrack to Gladiator my freshman year which was obviously more of a conventional movie score. That was a fun show. Okay, so that's now seven minutes on High School Marching Band during the World Series. So we should come back to this. I'm, I'm curious because we haven't talked a lot about this. You and I obviously know each other from our, I mean, in addition to working together now, but we knew each other originally from our time as Phillies bloggers. And, you know, you mentioned getting your, your toes dipped back in. And, you know, how has this been sort of, like getting roped back in because it's been easy. I think it's been easy for me to be kind of objective about this team when they sucked. Right. And now that they're fun and I'm, you know, I'm covering it like, you know, I'm still, uh, you know, being as fair and objective as, as I can, but you know, the, the emotions are still there. I'm curious, you know, what emotions are you experiencing? I'm not sure I can articulate it quite yet. Both instances, 08, 09. And now the context for me is, is obviously very different from one another. And they were, you know, in both instances, it was weird from my normal baseline as adolescent and teenage, you know, pimple-faced, sweaty, smelly baseball nerd. That guy's day was ruined and like SportsCenter would not be watched if, you know, Tomo Oka had an unusually good start against them and they, you know, lost the game to the lowly Nationals or the Astros or whatever. That was making it harder for them to like make the playoffs, which they hadn't at that point in so long. And then in 08, at that point, I was working in baseball in some capacity. That 08 summer was the first summer after my freshman year of college. The Iron Pigs were a thing. For the first time, it was their inaugural season that summer in 08. I was the youngest intern there. Uh, you know, 15 minutes from my front door was Coca-Cola Park, and so... You know, working at the ballpark every day during that season, which was a lot of fun and very difficult as a, an extremely popular minor league baseball stadium, like shaking out the cobwebs and, you know, the kinks of running ops for a stadium that was hosting almost 10,000 people every night changed the nature of how I interacted with baseball. And so when they won in 08, I was in my college, you know, apartment there, then as a sophomore with, uh, my hockey playing roommate, Chris, who is okay. What's up, Chris? If you're listening to this, you're perfectly fine to be around, I guess. And, you know, like I did not have like a huge catharsis. I was not out climbing poles or flipping cars. I called the various voicemail inboxes of some of the Phillies front office members whose numbers I lifted from the front desk at the Iron Pigs reception <laughs> area on the days that I had to handle that as part of my duties. And like, I left Pat Gillick a voicemail and like mentioned the Freddie Garcia trade during it, which was maybe not the best. Although the, the Ranger Suarez, Freddie Garcia connection is sort of like exercises those demons in a way. So that's nice. But yeah, like at the time in 08, it was, I felt fine. I wasn't like partying afterward. It didn't feel like I thought it would feel or like I wanted it to feel in 09 when they lost it absolutely felt like I didn't want it to feel. It was so frustrating watching that series because Utley was so locked in in a way at the plate and then like weirdly had the yips defensively. 
and like Johnny Damon and Hideki Matsui were locked in in a way that made me like terrified of them every time they came to the plate. I did not enjoy the experience in in 09. I, I almost wanted that one more because I felt like that era of Phillies baseball deserved more than one World Series, which they did except, you know, Tim Lincecum and Buster Posey and <laughs> Cody Ross had other plans. But now, now, I don't know, like, I don't have a, an emotional connection really with this group of player. Not in the same way I did when I was, you know, 18, 19 years old. No, at, and yeah. the Rollins, Burl, Utley, like, you know, any of the guys who came through in the early 2000s when they were still bad and just like trying not to be bad anymore. You know, there was a there was a different level of fandom happening individually with each of the players. And now like, you know, these players I've covered for work. There's there's much more of of a desire for them to do well because, you know, of the city and my family and most of my friends who are <laughs> there uh most nights, you know, like I just have known a handful of people who have been there for like each of these home games. And so like, I want them to win for them more than anything else. It would be a lot of fun. And like, I have been yelling at my TV some, but it is not quite the same as, you know, 15 years ago, which is to be expected. And I think is pretty healthy. And then I think the, the response I had to last night, which you know, when I would have been a teenager, I, I couldn't tell you what it would have what it would have been like. But you know, I had the giggles afterward. It was just such a weird, dubious, stupid thing. Yeah, that happened. They didn't hit hit well at all. None of them were seeing the ball well all night. It didn't seem you know they were they had opportunities to. It's frustrating when they have opportunities with runners in scoring position, and there's a hittable pitch here or there that they don't capitalize on. But like when. Those hittable pitches are so few and far between and you want someone to capitalize on it just so they don't get no-no'd. You know, like, it's a totally different sensation. So I want them to win. I definitely want them to win more than I would if this were just a neutral World Series matchup. But, you know, I'm not, like, like losing it over here. I don't feel like my objectivity is, like, someone who has to analyze this stuff is compromised, really, in, in any way. Yeah, I I think I'm in a similar boat. I think, you know, I might be a little bit more or a little bit less like jaded about this than than you seem to, to sound. But I'll say like what you said about not feeling the way that you did 15 years ago, like what a relief. Like I just I think about the way that <laughs> the way that I handled the 07 playoff loss, the sweep to Colorado. So the beginning of that run, I was in college and there were no other Phillies fans there. You know, right, there, you were at SC. Yeah, there were a few, but like none of my close friends, none of my close friends even cared about baseball at all. So like when they won the the World Series in 08, I like I bought a cheap bottle of champagne and like made, got my roommates out of bed to to drink champagne with me and they were all like, "What are we doing?" And <laughs> so, but like it like I called, you know, called Paul, I called, you know, my my parents and and uh, you know, friends back home who and, you know, screamed on the phone with them. So I didn't, you know, didn't really get that, you know, the the sense of being in amongst it the, the way that I did in later years when I came home and, you know, 9, 10, 11, I was in grad school, I was in, in the city and, and more around it. But now I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling the the emotional ups and downs of, of watching your team win and lose. But also when I'm in the park, it's it's secondary to like the professional anxiety that I have of like, you know, what am I going to write about? Am I going to file on time? You know, am I going to get the interviews that I want to get? Like, you know, who do I need to talk to? And do I need to, you know, sorting out like 
parking and credential stuff and all that stuff is taking up so much more of my emotional energy that the game itself, like from that perspective, is almost washing over me. It's been a really odd alienating yeah, I think alienating is the the right word. Like, it's been an odd Ooh. feeling to experience, like, you know, this was all, you know, all I ever wanted when I was a little kid was to, like, be in the building for important Phillies playoff <laughs> games. Now I'm here, like, it's in this fashion. It's it's just kind of strange. And, you know, I, I wouldn't trade this experience for, you know, for any other job in the business. But, like, it's been a lot of fun to go. And it's been very cool. Like, you know, I'm going to tell even even last night, like, you know, I'm going to tell my grandkids about being there for the World Series no hitter, you know, and just the stuff that I've gotten and experienced has been very cool. But like from on a day to day basis, like I'm even like, you know, when we were like writing a crash burn and stuff and, you know, just trying to be obviously it was writing with a fan voice, but it, you know, still trying to be objective and, and measured and tell the whole story. Like if, if I had a conversation with me when I was 24, 25, like, I don't think, you know, I don't think that person would recognize me now, like the way that, that I'm experiencing this world series now. So I, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're getting to talk to each other about this sort of unique perspective that we have on, on this, that nobody else is going to be able to identify with, but you know, it's what Dylan wanted. So that's what we're going to do. Yeah, it is, I don't know, it is strange. And for sure there are people every, I don't know, it is such a weird thing. Yeah, like the randomness of anyone's life is going to have, you know, an outsized impact on its events and what they get to do and experience. But yeah, like for you to be back there doing it after, you know, just sort of grinding for free and moving all over the place, including to Houston for a while. Like, yeah, you mentioned like, you know, being, you know, getting attached to players that you covered. Like, I feel that way about a lot of the Astros. Like, you know, I've watched a lot of them grow up and, uh, you know, I was they were Minimate every day. And so, you know, I think that it's it's been sort of odd that that it, when the Phillies finally get back and I get there, it's against this team that, that I know so well. Yeah, Houston's, a, you know, they're incredible and... It's weird, you know, as things have developed professionally, you want like guys to succeed. At least for me, you know, you, I have a strange investment in like guys performing close to the exact evaluation I had on them as prospects. So like Jeremy Pena, I want to be quite good, but not like super duper good. Like I don't want him to be like a seven or anything like that. Well, you've got a reputation to worry about. So I Kyle can... Tucker's like doing exactly the thing he needs to be doing to like, but at some point also the sheer volume of players, especially now that like I've been doing this job full time for six years, the sheer volume volume of players will make that feel like I'll become numb to that at some point I would anticipate as well. You know, maybe, but then at some point, like the only consequences that are imposed on any like prospect analyst are just the ones that they self-impose mm. because there's not like any consequence for it. No one's, you know, going back and checking anyone's work or their own work, except for me, which is the thing that I've been doing now that you know, the first batch of prospects I've written up are like hitting free agency if they graduated in that first year now. It's like time to evaluate how it's going. But yeah, it is it is fascinating. Like Kyle Schwarber, like I saw in college. So like I totally have a different, you know, POV about, you know, with regard to Kyle Schwarber than I did Chase Utley, whose name I first learned searching like, okay, they traded Scott Rowland, like who will be the third baseman soon? And, you know, the the articles on the internet at that time we're like Mike Costanzo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then there's, you know, maybe this Utley guy, if he can play third base, but yeah, like, I don't know. It's um, there, there are the handful of us from that group. Like imagine how Corinne feels, 
you know, Corinne Landry, who oh, should have got her on. What, yeah, what? you should have. <laughs> what was I thinking? But like, you know, Corinne used to write with us at Crashburn Alley. Corinne was at a Lakewood Blue Claws game with me having won some like, you know, Twitter based contest to like come to a game with like the Crashburn Alley prospect guy back when you could do a thing like that on Twitter. And like now is in the Phillies front office, like running minor league operations for them. She would be the first former Fangraphs writer to have a World Series ring. And, you know, I can't imagine what the stakes are like for her and her family. I mean, I can because like I can pick up the phone and, and call Corinne, uh, but I'm not going to do that right now considering, you know, the state of mind that she surely is in. But I don't know. I think, again, they have to win two out of three games now against Houston. The fact that it's been reduced to a three-game series and the variance that is inherent in such a thing is kind of a treat and a win already for them. Like, it is a better situation to be in than starting a seven-game series tied 0-0. And yet, you know, with Verlander versus Noah Sundergaard looming tonight, like, it doesn't feel great. Their chances don't feel super good. It is weird that the Eagles are playing the Texans tonight. Things were kind of setting up after game three where it was just like, you know, what a weird thing. Confluence of events that is that it seems to be occurring. That um, rain out really did ruin, or not ruin, but like it set up like an almost cosmically incredible Philadelphia sports week because you had like the like obviously with the World Series, but then the Eagles in Houston on the off day and also the potential for the union playing for the MLS Cup on the same day as World Series game seven. Like that could have been I mean, obviously, it's still one of the biggest weeks in the history of the city. Yeah. Yeah. You know, sports, whatever. Anyway, but like the fact certainly in your household, because didn't they didn't the Flyers play the Leafs last night, too? Yeah, I, well, we, we're not going to talk about the Leafs right now. The Leafs are in in really tricky. Uh, yeah, but I definitely I got home and got home really late last night. I woke up this morning, and the first thing that that Kate said to me was, "You need to see the goal that John Tavares scored." And I was like, "Up yours!" But so yeah, it's it's a big week all around. It's a point. So I I want to go into. I think I'm a little more bullish on the Phillies than you are with this. Uh, the next few games coming up because what it says to me, you know, with Syndergaard is not that. Like, it's not him versus Verlander. It's basically the bullpen versus Verlander. And if, you know, if Syndergaard can get through the order once, and I think that the Phillies bullpen's actually been really good this, you know, definitely in the World Series. And, you know, I kind of like their chances, but maybe that's, I don't know, I think it, that all depends on how they bounce back, how the Astros feel coming off of, of that that game last night, how much is still left in the tank for guys like Alvarado and Eflin, because you're getting to... The point in the season where, and I, I worry that we're here with Zach Wheeler too, where it's not just how long has it been since you last start, but like the cumulative toll of, of pitching is starting to take its, and you know, we, we see this with better relievers than what the, what the Phillies have for the most part in recent World Series that like they get to the end of the World Series and it's just like, that's it. Like, I don't got it anymore. Yeah. So last night, the group that threw was Alvarado, Robertson, Eflin, Hand, and Bilotti. Bilotti, yeah. Bilotti has now thrown back-to-back days. But otherwise, everyone, I would you know imagine, and certainly it's all hands on deck regardless, but... I think it's two innings at a, at a Sir Anthony Dominguez tonight, if maybe even more. Sure. Because he hasn't thrown... He hasn't thrown since game one. Since Friday. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that you will almost certainly see 
more than an inning out of Kyle Gibson. You know, Nick Nelson, as hard as Nick Nelson throws, you can see the Astros are just all over his stuff. Like, you know, he's towards the bottom of the barrel in terms of who I think Rob Thompson is reaching for on a night like tonight. But yeah, I think if you can find a way to have Brad Hand... And again, it's not like the Astros really platoon a lot. It's not like you're turning their lineup around in such a way where you're forcing Dusty Baker's, you know, glove-covered hand anywhere in the middle of the game for him to use, like, pinch hitter somewhere. And then you you can kind of, you know, you have control over the matchups from there on out once that bullet off the bench has been used. Like, Houston doesn't really do that. They're starting... Lineup, it just sort of is what it is. Well, they, they switch uh, Ledmus Diaz and Trey Mancini around, but both of them sure. look so lost, it almost doesn't matter. Like, that's yeah, the- Aled- yeah, Diaz just, you know, n- no, totally indiscriminate, just swinging over top of breaking balls constantly. It is funny how you just have like a subset of guys who, in the playoffs and in these you know, World Series moments, you just feel like they're overmatched. You know, opponents are totally comfortable pitching to them, even though during the course of the regular season, like the baseline level of pitching that they're facing is not as good. And so they're still useful role players over the course of, you know, the regular season. And then you get into these moments and it's like, you know, Bryson Stott sure doesn't look like the guy who I was watching 12 months ago in the Arizona Fall League. You know, he's like a shell of that guy against stuff that is of this quality, which is ultimately the point. Like you have to be able to hit stuff of this quality if you want to win the damn thing, which is the whole point. But yeah, like Connor Brogdon and his changeup, Brad Hand, Zach Eflin's ability to get a ground ball in a key spot. You know, like I kind of thought last night that like Eflin should have just started that beginning. Uh, Nola seemed pretty vulnerable already to me. I would have been a little bit more proactive about removing him before he faced the top of the Houston order for a third time. But like, those are the guys who are key because those are the guys who have the the tools to get Jordan Alvarez out who aren't just Jose Alvarado or, or Sir Anthony Domingos who can't like, you know, brute force it uh, to get Jordan Alvarez out. So that's what, you know, I think the key to tonight's game is going to be, I agree with you, like it is in essence a bullpen game with an off day looming. And it's just about like nobody going, nobody from that, group going nuclear but when you you know you are playing Russian roulette to a degree because every new arm you bring in it might be his turn to have like an off night and you're just taking that chance five or six times when you have a bullpen game like this but thankfully for the Phillies like if the third time through the order penalty if we assume that it's meaningful right then it certainly is is meaningful when you are bringing in your reliever to face a specific hitter for the third or fourth time over the course of a series. And so that might start to be true for some of these guys, for Alvarado, for David Robertson, who's more about poise and a really good curveball. And that's like sort of it, you know, and like as a third bullpen banana on a, on a World Series team, like you ideally you want a little bit more than that. Houston certainly has uh, more. They than have that. many bananas. Yeah. They have, yeah, they, they have, have an, uh, an assortment of fruits to to choose from. I was watching um, a video. Someone was making banana bread and to ripen, to like over ripen their bananas. They, they threw them in the oven for a while. Like rather than just wait, they put them in the oven and they browned in there. Anyway, <laughs> I can't imagine I not having overripe bananas on your counter at, at any given time like what we do in our households we every week we buy a bunch of bananas and eat two of them the other ones go bad and that's just just how things go all right so we're uh sort of getting to the the end of our as you can tell by the 
the banana discussion, getting to the end of our uh, useful commentary on this World Series. So my plans this weekend are to stay indoors and let my voice recover. But Eric, I understand you have other plans this weekend. So why don't you tell the listeners about about those? So yeah, there's um, a fantasy baseball conference called First Pitch Arizona that comes to the desert every fall. I've been speaking at it for the last handful of years, doing so again this year. I don't know if it's too late or not for people to register for that. It probably is. So it's like immaterial, even if folks wanted to go to it who live here in Arizona, it's probably probably too late. But go to their website anyway, just in case, first pitch Arizona. And yeah, like it's old hat for me at this point, but I speak on a panel that includes a couple scouts. It'll be moderated by Jeff Ponce from Baseball America this year. And then after that concludes, there are like That happens in like the main room in front of the entire conference. And then there are breakout sessions and mine is just me taking prospect questions for an hour with, in the past it's been Chris Blessing of Baseball HQ and Emily Walden of Baseball America. And this year it'll be me and and Jeff and, and Chris. And it's just like, you know, people in dynasty leagues saying the name of a player and then one of us who has like the best grasp on the player typically being like, here, let me tell you about that guy. And then that goes on for an hour. And that's basically it. That's my Friday. Saturday is the Fall League Home Run Derby, which I, I'm not going to go to. Sunday, if there's a World Series Game 7, then the Fall Stars game, which I think, you know, will probably be broadcast somewhere, if not just streaming on your MLB TV app or on MLB.com or on MLB Network. The time of that game might depend on whether or not there's a a seventh game of the World Series. And my attendance at that game might be dependent on if there's a seventh game of, (laughs) of a World Series or not. Because, you know, as a guy who sees nine inning games for six weeks, like going to a seven inning game where the hitters are only playing half of those seven innings and get like an at bat or two is not like a useful scouting look in a full stadium as much fun as it it can be to go to the fall stars game. Like the utility of it for my purposes is not like, you know, you don't have to justify it. Like the Phillies haven't ever played in game seven of the world series. Like you could stay home and watch. I give you permission. But yeah, so like that's sort of what my, my weekend is looking like and I don't know Sunday having the false game on a Sunday when like a football enthusiast as you know such as myself has to choose between a day of watching football and like you know dealing with a full stadium of people for seven innings worth of a meh scouting look you know but as always folks who are coming out here to see prospects don't come for fall stars weekend you're missing you know a Saturday's worth of games for in this case a home run derby and then the Fall Stars game itself is like not a great look for for prospects. Come come early. Come when they're doing those Saturday triple headers at Chase Field or Phoenix Muni or whatever, which were great ideas, by the way. Good job by the the new Fall League folks for planning that. That those were both fantastic. We had uh, I don't think I said this on the pod, but the Saturday we had the triple header at Chase Field where they just do three back to back seven inning games. We had huge thunderstorms coming through the Phoenix area that day. And I'm not, you know, stadium tax dollar guy. I do not want public funds being part of stadium remodels or, you know, construction from scratch. Absolutely not. Chase Field 
in all of the times I've been there, seems perfectly fine, totally lovely. I've heard some stories from people who work there either in D-backs ops or just like, you know, like I know, I go to Chase Field enough that like I just know employees. Like I know a lady who sells 50-50 tickets. I know people in hospitality like at Chase Field just from being there. My usher's name is Jeanette in the section that I sit in. It has issues. And the thunderstorms that we had that day were very heavy. There was a lightning bolt that either struck Chase Field itself or like right outside. It was incredibly loud. Chase Field's roof, when it's closed, has some, uh, <laughs> it has holes. Oh, there, is it? I heard there, the same thing about Minimate. Like, <laughs> there were just streams of water just after a while, just like pouring down into the scout section, a couple different places. You could see, you know, it was more than a trickle, but not quite a stream of water just continuously dripping down. And obviously, like, it's less a problem here than it would be in almost Houston. every other place yeah, except Houston, for San Diego. Instance, yeah. yeah, like Houston or, you know, if it were Trop or whatever, I could imagine it being a, a real problem. Whereas at Chase Field, the idea of rain even during monsoon season is like pretty remote chance of rain but yeah like it was kind of crazy just to see like a major league stadium's roof leaking consistently and i think there have been rumors uh you know just this is this might be apocryphal just talking with baseball people about this like laughing giggling about it at the time and then after the fact that like the diamondbacks had problems with the roof opening and closing towards the end of the year and just decided to like leave it closed the whole time so i don't know what's going on there but that was a funny thing and then yeah we got to do i mean they're angling for a new stadium maybe they're uh they're just tanking roof operations on purpose i don't know what the solution is i mean i live in a place where the the hockey team is playing at asu yeah at mullet arena mullet arena which i can't wait to go to (laughs) like i really can't wait till the novelty of it wears off a little bit and i can you know pay 75 bucks to go sit in there and watch the flyers come through on December 11th after winter meetings have concluded. So I think I'm probably going to go see the flyers. We can talk about this offline, but, but Kate wants to tag along when I go to spring training this year. So she can go to mullet arena. So like, yep. Keep your powder dry. Maybe we'll all, we'll make a, a group outing of it. Yep. Come through the, the Leafs come here before that. I was looking at the schedule. I forget specifically when it is, but like, I'm pretty sure they come through relatively soon. I don't know what, the schedule looks like for next spring but it's six miles from the house here maybe a little bit more than that uh and i haven't gone to any asu games yet but yeah like i can ride my bike <laughs> like i want to ride my bike on a 72 degree december day to like watch the flyers even though they're the knicks of hockey and have tony d'angelo like i'll go i'll go watch i like Faraby enough that i'll go watch <laughs> oh boy all right so so yeah, I've got a conference this weekend. Fall League is winding down. I'm writing my free agent blurbs for the top 50 list that's uh, set to come out here next week. Oh, so good. Folks- you haven't finished either. So I'm glad I'm not the only one who's blown deadline on at least part of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm working on prospect list stuff already in the background. International stuff, both the uh, international amateurs who will sign in January, as well as like the Korean, Japanese and Taiwanese pro players and recent draftees who are like in the minors over there. Like that's what I'm working on now. I'll update the draft list and all that stuff before we get into the MLB team by team prospect lists proper. But I do know I will be starting with the central Phoenix 
Glendale area contingent, Dodgers, White Sox, Brewers, I think Cincinnati and, and Cleveland too will probably get lumped into that. Those will be the, the first teams out of the gate here for me um, once offseason activities officially begin, although the writing in the background has already begun. Abner Uribe, remember the name, Abner Uribe, probably going to be in the uh, in the back of the Brewers bullpen next next summer, so long as he continues to throw strikes like he has out here in Arizona. All right, I'm going to forget that name immediately, and then go to Game 5 of the World <laughs> Series, and then spend some time recovering before the start of hockey season. But it's good to to catch up, to have, you know, a little bit of a old-timey bloggy reunion, you know, take the temperature, see see where everybody's anxiety is at. So, uh, yeah, uh, thanks for, for hopping on. Well, thanks for having me. I don't me. know why I'm thanking you. Like, you've been on this podcast way longer than I have. Yeah, Why don't you I don't thank know either. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for I'm happy to have you like in my, you know, baseball website foxhole again. Very, yeah, very happy. That's fun. And looking forward to I know that you're a degenerate like me and who has no, you know, restrictor plate. So uh, you know, I'm excited that I thought to, you were gonna to say bring... life, but that's <laughs> <laughs> it's a much more artful way of putting it. But uh yeah, buddy. Good luck to our boys again and you know, I don't know what'll happen, what what the sensation will feel like, win or lose, but I'm just gonna continue to remain open to I feel, it. And I feel good. I'm like, it's been nice to experience this. I know this sounds like cope from somebody who's already given up the ghost. Like, I still think the the Phillies are like, I think they've still got a pretty good chance of, of pulling this off. Yeah, but, like they've no fear. Like they're they're playing with these guys. They're loose, and it's so fun to to watch a team that yeah, like they would never characterize it this way, but it really does feel like they've got nothing to lose, and that's just a very like it's a very fun brand of baseball to root for. So. I'm I'm having a blast, win or lose. This has been Fangraphs Audio. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the program, consider sharing it with a friend or two. It helps us out. After you have recommended Fangraphs Audio and checked out the Fangraphs store, don't forget to also download the Fangraphs app, free on the Apple Store and Google Play. If you're out of the ballpark or the bar and watching the game and want to look up some advanced baseball stats from your pals at Fangraphs, the app is the best way to do it from your smartphone. We think you'll like it. If that sounds like way too much Fangraphs stuff to keep track of, consider the Fangraphs newsletter. Read your inbox. The newsletter helps you keep up on all the many cool things we have going on, which is clearly a bunch. Happy World Series. Enjoy these last few games of the playoffs, and we'll talk to you next week for episode number 1000.